The Chiefs are 5-1, first place in the AFC, and have an elite defense. And the rich are about to get richer? Let's talk about it. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory. Welcome into a live edition of the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank, member FDIC, here with Maddie Lane and Craig Stout. Matthew, hello, good to see your face. Have your five nine face after uh, seeing you in person all weekend. That was uncalled for. You're coming at me sideways. Just because I was undefeated in blitz all weekend does not mean you have to come at me with that kind of attitude. Um, I, I'm going to apologize <laughs> to the scared people. Scared to compete. I know Craig makes <laughs> highly scared to compete. At least Jordy tried to compete. Did I make him quit at halftime? Yes. Did you but guys? Hold on. Did you guys just play blitz the whole? college football Saturday watch no, party. You watched college football and hung out, Kent. Okay. Yeah, you would know that if you were there. Um, I'm going to apologize to everybody. My voice is going to waver in and out of this episode because, well, a unnamed bar in uh, the Kansas City area, let's say, decided to put live music over the Stanford, Colorado game, making a table of like 10 people who talk for a living have to yell over loud music in each other. So my voice is hanging on by a thread which is kind of what Craig did when he played me in Blitz all weekend. It's true. I hung on by a thread. I was not able to beat Maddie, but at least I wasn't scared to compete on the way to my last single drive losses. But uh, yeah, it was a good time. Love seeing your faces. Love seeing the people out at Kingdom Bar and Grill. Got to say hi to a few people. KCSN subscribers. It was a really good time, and I miss it already. Yeah. Yeah, thanks to everybody that came out to Kingdom Bar, by the way, as well. Uh, appreciate that. Was a lot of fun on Thursday. Uh, we should have just we should have just gone there on Saturday too, instead of going to NK North KC and having our eardrums blown out. But that's okay, Matthew Tucker. Uh, anyways, appreciate y'all. We it's uh it was a lot of fun getting to hang out with everybody. Um, and we have a lot to talk about today. We're not going to spend as much time talking specifically about the Denver Broncos game. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it. It'll bleed into it at some point. Um, but we need to talk about the defensive end, the pass rush, getting a big addition here moving forward. Chiefs 5-1. and one. Charles and who's coming back. There also might be a new... Uh, another new name added to the defensive line group. But let's just talk about Charles Amenihu real quick. His addition to this front, back in the mix. Matthew, how excited are you to see Charles Amenihu in a Chiefs jersey? I mean, extremely, right? Uh, Charles Amenihu is the was the Chiefs kind of like big offseason signing. And so far, you know, they've gotten great play out of Drew Tranquil and guys coming, Mike Edwards, guys coming in to help this team. But the big signing was Charles Amenihu. And I think as the year has gone along, we've kind of seen that the four-man pass rush, especially pressure like opposite of Chris Jones at the end, is still probably the biggest weakness of this defense. It's been very good, but that's still the biggest weakness. Omenihu's the guy that they brought in to directly alleviate that. He's the guy that's going to come in and provide the most direct kind of ability to fix that. And so they're just now getting This defense has been playing like a top 10 top five-ish level defense already this year, and now you're adding back a guy that probably factors in as one of the best five 
defenders on this defense, and especially if he continues to ascend like he has throughout his career now, you're getting an extremely important player back right in the middle of the year. It just so happens to coincide with what the biggest weakness is. Andy Reid was talking about how they'll work him in and stuff, and I'm sure that's true, but like, I wouldn't be surprised to see his impact start to come in pretty pretty quick um, because just I really think they need that guy that can win one-on-ones on the outside. They don't really have that without him, but getting him back right now, I mean, big time. Yeah. I, I mean, you watched in the preseason, which is what it is, but those were the meaningful Charles Aminahue reps. He got a lot of them, especially late in games. And so naturally you'd expect a guy like that to win those matchups and make those guys look bad, you know, that he was going up against. They certainly did. However, it was those early reps that he was really, you know, converting a lot of, you know, speed to power, turning the corner around a bunch of guys. He was in the face of of the quarterback for basically the entire preseason. It it made me go, okay, that's a very positive thing. If they could just get through the first six weeks on this defense, it's going to be a major addition. Maybe the four-man rush can look pretty good at that point. Boy, we're five weeks in. Four-man rush has its ups and downs, but it's been fine. It's largely been fine. And this past week showed, hey, it, it's got some juice in it. Adding Charles Aminahue into it is the perfect complement to what they have. They got a bunch of guys that are very gap sound. They're going to stay in their rush lanes and do a good job of maybe be a slower burn pass rusher. And then you've also got Chris Jones, who's your only quick win pass rusher. Charles Aminahue adds another quick win pass rusher to the repertoire. I don't mean to single out Felix Anaduke Azama as not a quick win guy. He's just not getting a ton of reps as a rookie. When he's got there, he's looking good. Charles Aminahue is a guy that's going to play a lot of snaps for this team. Impact as a a quick win, a pass rusher. That's exactly what they need with the way that their secondary is playing right now. Yeah, it's kind of funny you mentioned Andy Reid's comment about you know like his you know his usage his usage and his his involvement. Chris Jones stepped in and got a pretty healthy share of snaps uh, in his first week back, and. Chris Jones didn't go through training camp. He didn't get any preseason game experience. Like, I know it's been a long wait for Charles Amenahue, but he went through camp. He got a lot of reps in that last preseason game. They're trying to give him an opportunity to get going. I just wonder what the difference between, like, how they plan to use Charles Amenahue immediately differs with how, you know, involved Chris Jones was, you know, early in, in the process. Like, why do I do we think it was just gamesmanship that he's talked about Charles Abenahue's usage and we'll see where it goes? And like I, I just I think he's gonna step in and get a lot of snaps immediately. I mean, I hope so, right? Like, I mean, I think we all probably want that to happen. I just the difference was Chris Jones I mean, when Chris Jones stepped in, they had to because Charles Abenahue wasn't there. They didn't mm-hmm. have anybody, whereas this defensive line without Charles Abenahue's been fine. Maybe not great. But like they've been fine. They've been absolutely fine. Now, I agree. Chris Jones can't continue to play like 88% of the snap count. And Goodness. you can't you don't need to play. What would Mike what was Mike Dana's snap count? Wasn't it in like the 90s or he something? He was in the 90s. Yeah. It, it an insane amount. I love yeah. Mike Dana. I love Mike Dana. Mike Dana's having a great year. I Mike Dana isn't a 90 plus percent snap count guy ever at, at the NFL level. That's just not who he is, right? And so they could definitely use Omenihue, but I think they might be a little strategic with how they work it back in there. It's been six weeks since he's been able to go full speed at any point in time. 
I don't think there's a reason to rush him. That said, if he comes out and plays over 50% of the snaps, I'm not shocked by any means. No, me neither. Me neither at all. And it, it's funny to watch him on Twitter. Um, he really wants to be a part of this team. Like, I, I, he is hungry to get out on the field and start, you know, getting into the rotation here. And it's going to be interesting to see what that rotation looks like. Yes, Chris Jones and Mike Danner are playing an insane number of snaps. George Karloftis is playing a lot of snaps as well. Those guys are going to be better for not having to be out there as long as they are constantly in the rotation. I'm just very curious what that dime rotation looks like right now. Who sits? Is it Felix Anadugayozama? Because he, those are really the only reps that he's getting right now. And frankly, he looks fine in them. Like I know that he hasn't recorded a sack or anything like that yet. His pressure rate is still pretty high, though, and gives them another fast guy off the edge that they can utilize. Do they want to maybe sub out a Mike Dana, who has been awesome, you know, working these games up front for a guy like Charles Aminiu that can win on the inside? Do they bring Char- George Karloffis out? It really is kind of an embarrassment of riches, for lack of a better term, at the dying pass rusher position for Steve Spagnolo here. Joe Cullen and Steve Spagnolo are going to have package plays for all these guys and rotating them in. I think that that just makes everybody better. I'm just very curious to see if we see at any point in time a Felix Anaduke Uzama, let's call it a Mike Dana, Chris Jones, and Charles O'Minahue pass rush because with what they can do, you know, the agility, the speed, the burst that they can bring onto the table as well as Mike Dana's ability to, you know, kind of work games up front, that is a terrific pass rush. Like, in theory, that is a terrific pass rush that could be really scary going up against some, you know, frankly, bad offensive lines that they've got on their schedule coming up here. Well, I'll, you know, I I, I think it's going to just be, like, I, I think it's committee, you know. I think it's a committee to get them all involved in, in the dime, you know, and I think just period. Like, I, this is a good problem to have. This is, like you said, like embarrassment of riches along the defensive line is such a fantastic problem to have. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities for them over the next 10 games to identify the groups that have the best chemistry. You know, some of these games, who can run the best games together? Some of those kind of things I think are going to be interesting to see, right? Because, you know, you're going to have the, you know, you're going to have the time and you're going to have a chance to really mix and max, match some of this personnel and, and get to know what what group does best together on the field. I think Felix Andy DK Uzama will get involved uh, at a higher clip as the season goes on. Um, and he might take a little bit of a step back early while they're trying to learn some of this stuff. But like by the end of the season, I think Felix, I think Felix will get some opportunities. And you know what? Like, I'm curious to see what BJ Thompson's development looks like here when it comes December. Like, it'll be, they're going to have some really tough choices to, to make here, uh, with their defensive front. Like, I mean, coming, coming quick here. Uh, I would imagine, Maddie. You said you you wanted more. One more thing on uh, a minute here. Yeah, uh, the re- I mean, one of the reasons, like, right, that he hasn't played a game for the Chiefs yet, but everyone's really excited for it. And like, here's kind of the reason why. Last year for the 49ers, his pass rush, you know, win percentage on just true pass sets was 19.3 percent. Mm-hmm. That was second on the 49ers, only a couple points behind Nick Bosa. The only Chief above 14 percent last year was Chris Jones. That's the only one. Everybody else was below 14 percent. He's clearing away the second best pass rusher, at least he was last year, that's going to be on the Chiefs roster. Now, George Karloftis has been a lot better this year. I think he's floating around 20% as it stands right now. You know, 
you we can do with that what you will. I think it's a little bit more slow burn than what Omenihu had. But either way, you're adding a guy that rushed the passer better than anybody else who's on the Chiefs roster last year besides Chris Jones and Charles Omenihu coming back. And then I did want to touch on something else you said. The rotation. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are very set in stone about this, and they've had one of the best pass rushes in the entire NFL for the past two seasons. The Cleveland Browns are just like this too. They set a certain number of pass rush reps or of reps in a row that these defensive lines play, and then the moment that they can substitute out of it, they do. There is no, you know, oh, this guy's our star player, so he's allowed to just keep playing and playing and playing. No, they change these guys out because having a guy that's, you know, a C plus instead of an A minus, but he's 100% ready to go, he's not tired at all, matters when that offensive line starting to drag a little bit. It's like, I think the deeper the Chiefs defensive line room gets, the better overall everyone's going to play above kind of the expectation. And I'm kind of waiting for them to rotate a little bit more. I think they're limited on who they have right now, which has slowed down some of those rotations. But come the end of the year, seeing a deep defensive line room, that seems to be the way the NFL's going, right? That seems yeah. to be the direction that the NFL's trending towards. And I, I hope the Chiefs jump on that earlier rather than later. I mean, the the trend right now that they would have to buck is putting, you know, Matt Dickerson on the field more or putting Malik Herring on the field more. Malik Herring had a terrific game, you know, against the Broncos. Don't, don't get me wrong. Tershawn Wharton on the field more. Those are the guys that they would have to be leaning on a little bit more. Whereas teams like the Eagles and the Browns have um, studs, first teamers for, for most teams cycling in. This certainly raises the level. Charles Aminahue being in the mix a little bit more raises the level. Felix Anaduke Osama by the end of the year raises the level a little bit more. So maybe as the season goes along, we can see some of that get to be a little more integrated, a little more uh, you know, trusting of these guys to rotate in wholesale, as Maddie was saying there, because it certainly is the way that the NFL is going. And if you can keep that up and not dip, too far down, basically not put in a whole bunch of second teamers that are just going to get gashed. Well, then, you know, you got to do that. Give your studs a chance to rest because, boy, when teams see that, they've been going fast lately when the Chiefs have tried to put in some of these guys. Teams have been going tempo to try and keep those guys on the field because they don't want to see Chris Jones, George Karloftis, Mike Dana, and Derek Noddy on the field together. That's been a really good setup for the Chiefs so far. So any chance that the opposition has had, they've tried to speed it up and keep those guys off the field. All right, quick question before we move on. Do we think Matt Dickerson's the move that the Chiefs make to when they activate Charles Domenico? Do they try to get Matt Dickerson back on the practice squad as they were able to do earlier in the season? It's tough to say. Do I? Oh, man. Mm. Yes, but here's the problem. Matt Dickerson's been active over, you know, Neil Farrell and Keandre Coburn. Do I think it's more likely that Coburn or Farrell get picked up? Yes. Have the Chiefs technically invested more into Coburn and Farrell? Yes. But at the end of the day, I think they're out of practice squad elevations for Matt Dickerson and he's the guy playing over them. So, I, you know, I know. Yeah, that's kind of where I am as well. And I don't know how much of this is giving a young guy in Keandre Coburn a little bit of extra time to settle into his role as a rookie or Neil Farrell, who was traded for just before the beginning of the year, needing a little bit of time to get integrated into this. 
I, I just don't know. They, they, they seem to like Matt Dickerson, you know, especially when they play teams a little bit more horizontal stretch. He's been a guy that they've leaned on a little bit more to give Chris Jones some, a little bit of a breather when he's trying to chase down some of those runs to the outside. I think it makes sense, but you've got to have that trust in Farrell or Coburn at the ready there because right now, I think that they like Matt Dickerson enough to where they would be more comfortable. Man, I just don't know where they go with it. Like that That's my problem. I don't know what other position they would feel comfortable cutting from to keep Matt Dickerson on the roster. Well, and theoretically, not apples to apples, hat for hat, snap to snap, position by position, but Charles Amenehu might make up a little bit of what Matt Dickerson did along the interior too. And that's the question I'm asking is, you know, maybe that's the pivot that happens at this point. And I don't think, I don't know. I just don't think you want him as a full-time three-tech. Like I don't, that's, I don't that's either. my issue with that. I don't either. And so that doesn't alleviate Chris Jones playing 88% of the snaps for the rest of the season. I mean, I think here, I mean, here's the other kind of the big issue too. Tershawn Wharton is limited in the role that he can play. Now, they do align him as a nose tackle. Plenty. They try they not to do it. They try not to do it on heavy rundowns, especially against heavier personnel, but Tershawn Wharton as the only other kind of defensive tackle, if you take out Matt Dickerson, if you're not willing to activate, like if you're not willing to make Farrell or Coburn active, I don't know if you can live with a three defensive tackle rotation where Tershawn Wharton is one of those three defensive tackles. I don't think you have enough beef going on there. So you either have to feel okay keeping Neil Farrell active, which they did do once this year, or getting Coburn active. I just I think Wharton has physical limitations on the football field and it makes it hard to only run three D tackles. All right. So Tucker, your beef of the week is if Matt Dickerson gets cut because there will be more beef on the active roster. Uh all right, I'm gonna throw a couple numbers at you here. Um Matt Matt Dickerson's played twenty three snaps in the last four games combined. Now I know yeah. Neil Farrell's played 28 snaps in the last four games combined. One of those being, he was uh, he was playing for the Bear, against the Bears. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the game there, where and the, and the game that huge. I know Chris Jones didn't play. Like that was the I game know. that I'm just yeah. I'm just you know I'm I being, I'm just I don't know. It's just I, we're talking right now. We're talking about uh, seven snaps in the last two weeks for Matt Dickerson. So how are they going to figure out those not, those seven snaps? What's the What's the answer to that? They like him though. They like him. They do. That's but snaps with Chris Jones playing eighty eight percent. Yeah, sure. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a fascinating question. I'm trying not to wear out ninety five here. That's what I'm really looking for. <laughs> Contract year, man. Anyone else? Contract years undefeated. Um, okay, let's talk about the other defensive end that's not in the room that could be in the room that might be in the room. Um, it, it, the belief by you know once once. Frank Clark was released by the Denver Broncos. Um, the belief among industry sources per a couple different reports was that Frank Clark would be heading back to Kansas City. Andy Reid uh, was asked about this today, kept it vague, said, you know, so we're going to do some stuff and all that, all yada, yada, yada. It still feels like the Chiefs are, are the front runners to uh, bring Frank Clark into the mix. And I guess my question for all of you before we get too far down that rabbit hole about the Frank situation, Maddie, are you ready to welcome Frank Clark back into open arms, uh, you know, or back with open arms uh, into this defensive group? 
Are you ready to give him a roster spot? Obviously, it's no no bad blood. It's just purely, you know, looking at roster construction. Are you ready to give him a spot on the 53-man roster? With open fins, let the shark back in. <laughs> the kid, that was because he's the shark and they don't have arms, they have fins. Appreciate um, the explanation. I needed that. I mean, of course I would welcome Frank Clark, but we just talked about rotating guys in and out. And so, like, why not bring another defensive lineman that I know is going to give me maximum effort that can go out there, get physical if he needs to be physical, defend the run, you know, maybe not the pass rusher he once was, but the effort is always going to be there. And when you're going to ask him just to throw out to be a rotational guy that maybe gives you one to two quality pass rushes a game, like, yeah, I have the utmost faith that he can do it as long as there's not some kind of goal to make him a starter. And I don't believe he would be coming in to replace an Omenahue, uh George Karloftis. I don't even think he'd be coming in to replace Dana or Felix. Like, I think it would be a rotational guy. And I mean, at this point, what's what's out there for Frank Clark, right? Like he didn't get a lot on the open market. He gets to come back and play with some of his better friends in the NFL. He gets to come back and have a chance to win another ring for an organization that, I mean, for everything we know, really liked having him around a locker room, a coaching staff that that loved him as if he liked them. He They just couldn't make it work financially. So like I see zero downside to bringing him back. And I'm honestly going to say at this point, I'd be more surprised to see him play a down in the NFL this year for a non-Chiefs team than I would to see him play for the Chiefs. That's where I am. That last point right there. That's where I am. I think the Chiefs know what they're getting with him. I think Frank knows where he is with everybody. I mean, certainly Joe Cullen and Steve Spagnuolo like him. Andy Reid likes him. Like this is a, a, this is a kind of a match that's easy to make for this team there. And it could be as simple as just saying, "Hey, guess what, buddy? You're getting Malik Herring snaps. And again, not trying to take away from Malik Herring there. He had a fantastic last game, but that's a guy that I think that you're comfortable with. Go out there, try and win on rundowns. Smart guy that's going to sniff some stuff out. And guess what? When it gets to January and February, that's a guy you want in your dime rotation. Like it just is. That's where he lives. That's where he thrives. We just got done talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns and having that rotation, being able to wholesale rotate guys in, get into pass situations and be able to throw out there as your second team, a Charles O'Minahue, Frank Clark, Tershawn Wharton, and another defensive tackle, somebody. Then maybe Neil Farrell, Keandre Covert, somebody like that. Get them rotated in there as guys in your sub packages. That's a pretty good rotation. That, that really is one that you can feel pretty confident in, pretty comfortable with. Malik Herring can rotate in. Maybe he can kick inside as a three-tech or something like that on the limited downs. But you can make those sort of wholesale swaps with a guy like Frank Clark on the roster that you are not expecting to carry 70% of the snaps. That's just not where he is anymore. That's not where his body is anymore. But he does still have juice. He has the ability to still win on the outside on occasion. Sprinkle him in with Joe Cullen and what they know they can get from Frank. Give Chris's buddy back along the defensive line there. Like I, I just think that not only are am I welcoming him with open arms, I think that entire room fins him with open arms. Fins. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll go with fins. I like it. Uh, open fins for me as well. And 
you know, we don't have a sample size to know what Frank Clark's done to this point in Denver. Like, you know, it, and it's hard to get a good gauge on that, but he is a known commodity. And this is a guy that's given a lot of himself to this organization. He's given himself a lot. He's given a lot of himself physically, emotionally. And, you know, he's been so willing to share, you know, his knowledge, his abilities, you know, with rookies in the past he was so instrumental in helping you know George Karloftis get acclimated and I look at this team they got another guy you know that might benefit from the value of Frank Clark being in the room um so I I think it's a no-brainer for this team and you know he's made a little bit of money this year you know he's made a few million dollars I believe the initial money initial initial dollar figure before he restructured was 5.45 million dollars he basically restructured to take it down to uh i believe just like veteran minimum for the remainder of the year but six games or five games or whatever of that 5.4 million dollar you know cap hit he was you know good for him good good for frank you got paid by the denver broncos to beat the denver broncos in two weeks uh the afc west the afc west agreed to it yeah, like are is just actively helping the chiefs get frank clark back and it just be nose yeah do you guys did you guys take away anything from Andy's comments about how they've been in talks with like Frank Clark or his people or something like that? Like I don't have the exact quote, but it wasn't like Andy normally says, you know, we're not going to talk about players not in this building or something along those lines. It was not the same traditional Andy answer of he's not on our team. We're not talking about it. Uh, no, I I I think that he was being cagey. I, I I don't know that I'm reading anything more into it than that. I you know it's Monday. They're they're probably gonna wait until Tuesday to make a signing. Yeah, he knows the system. It's not like him coming in and you know if he's even on the active roster. Like we're we're throwing him on the active roster right now. I I know the kids' eyes are lighting up. Well, right yeah. here's the thing. All right, how we don't know what Frank Clark's gonna get in the open market. We don't know how many teams are willing to give him a a bug. Sure league minimum he, he certainly took a pay cut to get out of denver make no a, mistake he took a, he wanted out took a pay cut to get out of denver and we don't really have good representation of frank clark on the field in denver the market may not be strong enough for him to get more than a vet minimum deal okay so all right maybe they try to sneak him on the practice squad for a while yeah. maybe they put frank clark on ice for october they kind of let that whole situation on the active roster play out. They let him stay healthy. They let him kind of get back into the swing of things again for the stretch run, but he just stays in the building, does what for, you know, he's still part of the team. It's just kind of managing his, you know, his usage for these, you know, this time of the year. So now you can give some reps to the young guys. You can let the defensive line battles kind of play themselves out a little bit longer. And if there's any injuries, you have someone that's immediately able to step in. Like, I think I, I think Frank Clark's going to be back, but almost some of the way Andy talked about it, it's almost seemed to me like maybe they don't know for sure if he's going to be active roster or practice squad. Like, they're kind of working some of that out. It's like, all right, let's just kind of, you know, let's let's work through some of this stuff, and, and maybe we're just going to go ahead and, and put him on the maybe, – maybe Frank's cool with being on practice squad knowing there's a lot of trust within this group there's a lot of trust between him and Veach and and and, and Andy Reid, and it's look, you know, we're gonna keep you on practice squad. We're gonna standard elevation you a couple weeks in November, 
and then we're going to make that decision to put you on active roster in some capacity if some injury doesn't happen before then, right? Like, I think that's, I think that could potentially be the path to like how it, how it happens. I don't know. I, I think Frank Clark's back in the building like this week, but I could see them maybe just practice squatting him for now and, you know, kind of buying themselves time and, and, and Frank, you know, kind of operating under that because he's a team player right now. Okay, so let's just let's jump and make the assumption that Chiefs want to bring Frank Clark back. Would you rather him or Malik Herring be active this upcoming Sunday? We got that question also from Why Yoder for 05 down there. So shout out Why Yoder there. Great mind. Um, I'm going to say uh, because he's coming off of an illness this week. We we have seen that illness before out of Frank. Yeah, I saw I saw the injury report the other day with an illness. I was like, okay, that checks. Yeah, out. we we know what that's like. So give give him a couple of weeks. Don't force him back into that. He's going to want to play. So if that was the case, I would let Malik Herring play. Just okay. just get right, man. Like again, yeah. we we want you in January and February to break that sack record as a Kansas City Chief. That that's where I'm that's where I'm looking at because I think that this four man rush can get by enough without him on the active roster immediately. So I, I'm fine with that, especially with Charles Amenahu coming back this week. But you're, but you're right. Your thought is if he's healthy, when he's healthy and ready to go. You would rather have you would rather have Frank Clark. Is that what I'm gaining from it, or would you? Are you perfectly purposely trying to just set him out until December and then roll with it? Then I think when he's healthy and ready to go, I'd be fine with having him on the active roster over oh. Malik Carey. I I I do. I and again, Malik's played well. We've just right. we know what high level Frank looks like. I know that he's he's yeah. hurt. He's not he's not necessarily a hundred percent, but even a seventy five percent Frank that cares about the team that he's playing with and playing, you know, next to the guys that he loves is a bigger difference maker, I think, than Malik Carey. Okay, so this is going to be an un like unsourced speculation that I mean I I'll just say it. It seems like there has been a propensity for Steve Spagnolo to lean heavily on some of his veteran players that have been here. Like mm-hmm. Ben Neiman, I just I you know like Ben Neiman got leaned on in the past for a variety of reasons. Do we think like I, the only thing I could see is like if they're worried that Frank Clark's going to play more snaps than they really want, then then maybe some of the people making personnel decisions want. Like I could see there, I could see you know I, I could see that happening because we we've seen Spags have a tendency to want to play some of the the Frank Clarks of the world exorbitant amount of snaps then maybe you know uh you know maybe i don't know like I, I there's been so many times where i was stunned ben neiman wasn't back but maybe it was just to keep him from being put in a situation where he's going to be on the field a lot more than maybe some personnel people want so we'll count we points sure to... yeah go ahead maddie yeah say, are we sure that steve spagnolo is the one making the decision on which defensive linemen are going to be playing right correct now? yeah that, that would be, now, that's, that's fair. typically a position coach sort of thing yeah, that's a good point. Now it feels like we've—I don't know. It, I, no, I'm not see. saying Joe Cullen doesn't like or love Frank Clark too. Don't get me sure. wrong, but everything I've seen from Joe Cullen, I'm pretty much willing to kind of trust what he's feeling. Yeah. So if he's <laughs> sitting there at this point saying, "Hey, I feel like Frank is giving us the best opportunity," I'm not really going to push back and scream that we need George Karloftis or Felix or somebody else on the field 
if that is his and Steve Spagnuolo's like opinion, each of them. Um, I think Joe Colin, from what I've seen from the improvement of the Chiefs' defensive lines that he's been here and what he's done and his other stops along the way, he's got that vote of confidence from me that I'm kind of going to let him try what he wants to do until it starts to fail. And I just, we haven't seen it start to fail with what they have yet. So I, I think I'm less worried about them just playing Frank to feel comfortable, especially because we've seen them now have success without him. In playing young guys, they should feel comfortable with what they have already. This is just about maximizing the rotation. And I will add to that further counterpoint before we get off of this topic and say this team, Joe Cullen and Steve Spagnuolo specifically, were just fine with letting Frank walk. Like they they were okay with going young at the beginning of this season when none of these guys had really shown anything yet. You know, Mike Dana, George Karloff, they knew what they had there. But, like, they went young on purpose and moved on from Frank specifically to try and get younger. There's nothing about this four-man pass rush right now that you would look at and say, oh, man, well, they definitely have to have a guy, especially with Charles Aminahue coming back here. So, no, I don't think that if Frank Clark was on the roster that all of a sudden he's getting 70% of the snaps. I just don't because I think they were committed to this. They were fine with this, and it's been good so far. So don't upset the apple cart any more than you need to. Just bring him in slowly and let him get geared up for the playoffs. We know what will happen. Then. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? Like you know what you should do, what's good for you, but you just can't do it? Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. I personally have been talking to somebody for a few years now, and it's amazing how much better you'll feel by learning more about yourself through it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com KCSN today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, we spent 33 minutes. Craig, are you killing a spider? Yes. 
It was it was right here when we went to break, by the way. I was barely keeping it together. <laughs> I just saw Craig's for the audio this is Craig I we take a break. Craig's swatting something with something and got it. You got it? Got it. She's got a dead spider chilling on your floor now? Yeah, man. I'll clean it up after the show. I'm a okay. professional. All right. Okay. Um See that. If you guys are, this is a, just a side sidebar. Have you guys ever spilled something on yourself in the middle of one of our shows? No, no. Okay. I'm an adult. Just me. <laughs> I definitely have a couple times, and it's not fun. Wait, I'm sure I have. We've been doing this for long enough. I've forgotten most of what we've done. Thankfully, it's been well, Lacroix. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's been Lacroix both times. Thankfully, but like you know, it's. That's at least it was Lacroix. I don't know. I, the, way you're looking, the way you're looking down right now makes me think you've done it this episode. Did you just spill something on yourself? Is that what you're asking? No, I didn't. <laughs> I just this is, this is definitely where I've envisioned. Like I was looking at like the the my my desk, envisioning the spillage that has happened multiple times here. Okay. Uh, question for you: Are you wearing calico cut pants right now? Uh, I. I don't know. You, I can either confirm or deny. You gotta give. You gotta give. I, I want to ask your permission, Matthew, for something, and it's not to go to a break. No, you can't have my permission. I want to see how you handle this. Okay. Well, let's. Well, I, I'll just do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about the wide receivers, but it feels like the wide receiver discourse is continuing to kind of rev up a little bit more. And I want to know if you guys want to spend a few more minutes talking about the wide receivers after yet another game, another sample size. So are, just, are you are you really? I, I I will will we can talk about whatever you want if you don't want to talk about receivers, but I just I have some thoughts. I would love to talk about wide receivers because I think after this latest game, um, there's been a little bit of like uh I, a flipping of the narrative that the issue with the Chiefs offense, and I don't think that the Chiefs offense has been bad, but like the issues with the Chiefs offense are now being centered around the quarterback and Patrick Mahomes' play rather than other areas. And I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes has been perfect. I want to very much say I think Patrick Mahomes yeah, has been very, very middling on the Patrick Mahomes expectation scale, right? For an average NFL quarterback, he's been very good. But like on the Mahomes scale, he's been pretty middling, right? But all of a sudden, there's like now a push that he's more of the issue and the receivers are doing okay. And like, I, I just can't, I can't get on board with that. Um, when I see these Chiefs wide receivers, the majority of the time they're creating separation and getting open are because they're supposed to, because it's zone coverage. And like a zone coverage can't cover everything all at once, right? So if you're going to run a two-yard crossing route versus zone, yeah, you're probably going to be open, but it's because three guys are watching you to see if you get the ball. And as soon as the ball's thrown your direction, they close. That two-yard route goes for four or five yards. I'm not saying that's a bad play, but like I don't think we should be crediting wide receivers necessarily on plays like that. So I still think it's mostly the wide receivers. And I think more so the more I watch, it's the lack of nuance from the wide receivers. Guys don't get open and guys don't get open like in the right way. So like, Sky Moore caught a very nice out route on, and it was an out route where he stemmed inside, he broke out, he completely torches the cornerback, right? But if you go back and watch it, even on this route, he breaks at the, you know, the plus 24 yard line. He ends his route at the plus 23 yard line. That means he kept going upfield on another outbreaking route. And if you guys remember the play, 
He caught the ball. It was kind of late. He caught it low, mm-hmm. kind of late. Guess what? If you work back to the quarterback from there, maybe it's still a tiny bit late, but guess what? It's not low anymore. It's right in your chest if you come back a yard, a yard and a half. Kadarius Tony had a pass broken up because Patrick Mahomes was late throwing the ball to him. You can watch Mahomes. He's waiting for Tony because he doesn't know which way he's going to break. I can almost guarantee you in Mahomes' mind, he's saying, I'm not throwing this until I see if Tony's breaking outside or inside because I don't trust him to break the same way that I think he's going to. And so, yeah, he throws it a tick late. Kadarius Tony doesn't come back for the ball at all. He makes his little hitch. He just settles and he doesn't move. And the DB, of course, then breaks on it. It's up to Tony to come back. Now, you can argue that Mahomes was late on that one. I agree. But I think it's because he has a lack of trust that the receivers are going to do exactly what he's thinking. And then even then, Tony doesn't work back to us. I just think the lack of nuance on a rep-by-rep basis is getting into Mahomes' head. So, yeah, he's waiting. He's making sure he sees stuff before he throws it because he keeps getting bitten by throwing the ball too early and guys going the wrong way and it being incomplete or off target or intercepted in some cases. The Kadarius Tony one that you mentioned is is a really good one because if you watch the end of that play, Kadarius Tony sees the DB jump in front of it, gets his hands on the ball, luckily not picked off, and then he stands there for a second and Kadarius Tony taps his chest and says, "That's on me. That's on me. I needed to come back to the ball. That's mm-hmm. on me." So. Like that, that sort of stuff matters like that. The execution, the process, all of that matters. And it's not crisp, clean and consistent right now. And that's the problem. It's the consistency element like Maddie's referring to there. If he's expecting that this out route is going to be at 12 yards and he's got to throw it on time. And in reality, it's at it's the break starts at 12 and ends up at 14. He's drifting into a corner that's a little bit deeper than Patrick Mahomes wants to throw it. He's not going to throw it. He's going to wait to see where these guys are. Now, the caveat to all of that, to Maddie's point here, is that's the sort of stuff that can be cleaned up. Like, that's the sort of stuff that the trust can be built. You can build that confidence by hitting those landmarks consistently. We are seeing that right now with Rasheed Rice, who is in the right spot, and who's executing cleanly and consistently so Patrick Mahomes is throwing these slants with timing, throwing him with accuracy because the guy's in the spot where he's supposed to be. I think we get very hung up in the idea that, hey, Travis freelances, so Patrick is able to just kind of be generally on the same page as him at all times. Guess what? Travis and Patrick see coverages the exact same way, and that's why it works. Patrick still throws to Travis with you know anticipation, even though Travis is doing something completely different than the original route call. Well, and we still he, see them on yeah, the different pages too. We still see that happen still. Not as often. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah it, it is still there. But when we see Rasheed Rice be in the right place, right time, running the route cleanly, he gets fed the ball. Look what happens. Eight good things happen. Sky Moore has moments where he is in the right place, right time, but he does still drift a little bit. Kadarius Tony. Not always on the same page with him. MVS right now is definitely not on the same page with him. He's just not been very good. It's why Justin Watson kept getting targets all this time. I know that we talk about him as just a vertical receiver and everything, but he's in the right spot at the right time. And so it that matters so much more than just being able to take a screenshot of something and just say, oh, this guy's open. Guess what? Patrick Mahomes has gone through his progressions. If he's looking for that guy and that's the second guy that he's looking through in his progression, and that guy's not even out of his break or in the wrong spot or something like that, guess what? Nah. 
moving on. I'm going to look to number three and see what's over here. So it, it's a lot more nuanced than just being able to watch these guys running against air and saying, oh, look, he's wide open. You don't know where Patrick Holmes is with that. You don't know the depth that that's supposed to be. It, it's just hard to judge all that stuff. I have so many thoughts on this. And because, like, I think some of the explaining away some of the stuff with, you know, some of the struggling receivers, I just, I can't get behind. But, like, simultaneously, like, I don't think it's all entirely, like, the reasons people are arguing it either. Like, you know, we're talking about guys, oh, they're wide open. There's so many things within one play beyond just Sky Moore was running down the seam and the safety decided to start breaking on the guy Mahomes was throwing to, so it made him look a lot more open than he actually was. But there's things like progression that matter immensely. Like a lot of people were complaining about Sky Moore on the backside of one play being wide open, when on the front side they're running, like Mahomes is reading the front side concept. It's like that, it doesn't matter. Like that's the, the Mahomes was working on that side of the field. Like, that's not a, it was against zone coverage to Maddie's point. So it wasn't like he was going out of his way to, like, you know, create all kinds of separation. Down and distance matters. We're looking at all these plays on social media and people are posed, let's see, he's open. Down and distance matters. Like Matthew's talking about, like, if you throwing short of the sticks. And then here's the thing that I, we've talked about this on multiple occasions in different settings um, with different players, different positions. As fans, we are only privy to one day of seven in the process. We get to see game day, and the byproduct of what happens on game day is a result of what happened in the six days prior. Trust is crucial. Trust matters at the quarterback position more than anything. And the cool thing about Mahomes is he's starting to become more of you know, he has ways he likes things. He expects things the way he wants them. And that's going to lead to more success within this offense and more, you know, and and, and, and good things happening. I think you're seeing that with Rasheed Rice. I think sometimes people, like, I, I'm not saying Mahomes is perfect, but Mahomes didn't play it for a title play football yesterday. And I think he is helping manage and slug through some of the struggles of this team. And candidly, one of the things I wonder, I wonder if Mahomes kind of came into this season saying, hey, let's find out how far I can go. Let's let's see what the challenge looks like. Let's see, let's see how far we can take this thing. Let's see if we can, you know, let's see if how many resources we really need on the offensive side of the ball. Let's find out, you know. It's like I almost wonder if like there's a challenge there for Mahomes this year to try to do it with some of these younger guys, because if they can do it with some of these younger guys then what does that open up for this team from a roster building perspective? But I don't know. I just, I think there's so much context missing with some of the arguments that are being made about the receiver room. And I'm not like, and the funny thing is is like, I, I'm not out on sky more entirely. I think it's, it's funny to get, I'm I'm not painting it just like, as like, this is sky more slander. This is just like what we are arguing. I don't think is the full story of the situation. And I just like the cherry picking of some of the arguments just does not seem to hold water necessarily to the entirety of the point because this is the most nuanced, complex, one of the most nuanced, complex things in the game of football. And there's so many factors outside of just a guy running free against Zoe coverage. So it's not, and it's not even just the quarterback play, although that that is one of the most nuanced of all of these. But 
it, it is hard to speak in definitives. It is hard to speak to just, oh, that is why that guy's on the field. That's why this guy doesn't trust him. Even to our perspective here, I say it. Hey, maybe that guy's not running as crisp and clean a route. Maybe there's not the same sort of, you know, a consistency with some of these guys. There could be coaching points. There could be moments here that we're just not privy to. Like, the, it, it's not like, a, you know, us standing up here and saying, well, that's that's why this is not going great. It's only because of the wide receivers and it's only... No, that's not the case at all. There, There's a lot of different moving elements to all of this always, and we're only privy to so much. Yeah, and so, like, I, I agree with all that. Like, it's very... There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of stuff that we'll never know. So we're not going to have... No one's going to have the answer unless you get access to Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and anybody in the building. How did you tell them, buddy? And they you want to break down film? We'd love to. Truthfully, <laughs> but no, they will. They, they, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, I understand that. Now, part of what we do is trying to find those answers, though, right? So like, we are you are looking for little bits and pieces of things that tip you off to that. Because if we just sat up here and said like, oh no, we don't know for sure, so yeah. we're just gonna say nah. And like, what, what, you know what I mean? Like this, this podcast wouldn't us? last. What's the this point? podcast <laughs> wouldn't last very long. So it is about parsing out the little bits and pieces that we can tell. The and context so, clues. Yep. The stuff that sticks out to me, watching somebody who we saw just a couple weeks ago run an out route to an improper depth, do it again. That immediately sticks out to me is I wonder if that's a thing that doesn't have trust. It makes me go back and watch some of these, you know, dig routes now that we said, hey, here's the sky more wide open on the backside. It looks like Mahomes looking right at him. But if you go back and watch it and he's still breaking at 14, but drifting to 16, Maybe there's a reason Mahomes isn't ready to throw it because he sees a guy not working backwards, running the route in the way that he's expecting it to be run. That doesn't mean the sky more still not open, but it's not open in the context of what the Chiefs and what Patrick Mahomes are expecting. So you see context clues and try to find them. You go back and look at Kadarius Tony and see, does he do the little wide receiver things right frequently? Or does he often just kind of settle in and just kind of wait? How active is he trying to find space and zone? MVS has become a very not good broken play receiver. And I'm not even saying that he was ever great at it, right? But like he doesn't seem to be the best open or broken play wide receiver. Him and Mahomes have not really gotten on the same page in terms of which direction he's supposed to go, how long he's supposed to keep working, so on and so forth. That's not even necessarily a knock. It's just maybe a skill that doesn't click super well with MVS. Like you just start seeing things that you notice and you try to build some kind of case to say, okay, maybe this is the issue. What I've seen so far is Wide receivers that just lack consistency. I'm not saying that they're not getting open. I'm not saying if you go watch a game, you can't find not even a screenshot, but clip plays of guys getting open. But to Kent's point, it's got to be within the concept that the Chiefs are looking at and trying to work on that play. And then even when it is, is there a lack of confidence or is there a reason to have a lack of confidence? I can 100% buy that a quarterback is not throwing out routes on time to Sky Moore based on how I've seen him break off a couple of these. You would rather wait and see how he comes out of his break and what the coverage is before throwing it. You throw an out route with anticipation and a wide receiver doesn't block it out, you know, square it off. It's called an interception. We saw in the OU game, and I don't want to bring in college, yeah. but Quinn Ewers literally threw an interception against Oklahoma because his wide receiver didn't cross the face of a quarterback. You do that once, guess who's going to hesitate to throw you the ball next time you need to cross the face of a cornerback? That same that cornerback, that same quarterback, Will. So it's just, you got to be consistently good. And then, so I saw this question, right? I saw this question come through in our chat where somebody was asking about Matt Nagy and Eric Bieniemy. 
I don't know if I am ready to say that he's a downgrade or something like that, but I will say this. I think whatever the Chiefs wide receiver room has going on right now, coaching, whether it's from the offensive coordinator, from Connor Embry as the wide receiver coach, I think they have their work cut out for them. It could be a personnel issue. It could be a coaching issue, but they lack a lot of detail and nuance as a wide receiver group. I don't think they play the wide receiver position super technically. You could make an argument that the Chiefs never really have. They've always been a team that kind of operates on spacing rather than technicalities of the wide receiver position, but it seems like they're struggling with that even more in this particular season. And like, I know there's a lot of discourse about Eric Bieniemy's role within the offensive coaching staff in Kansas City and Nagy's role in the coaching staff back when he was here and Andy and 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 Nagy's role now. And so I can't say anything definitively. So I don't know for sure at all. One thing with Eric Bieniemy though is you're right. Like I think that like from development from developing and some of the you know technical aspects of the wide receiver position, Maddie. Like you're right. Like it's never been that. But I do wonder if you know, maybe some some of the attention to detail that Eric Bieniemy hammers on not being in this organization matters. You know, like flat and friendly is not a stance that is, you know, like that's a little that's a little detail that maybe Eric Bieniemy hammers home so much that people get really annoyed by, it. and it's that's a small thing. Like I don't think it's like a ginormous big sweeping changes or anything like that. But it could be a few little details here or there that Eric Bieniemy's strength seemed to be hammering those. Maybe that's the case. I I don't know. Yeah, I and you know it's it's just tough to watch some of that stuff because it, it still existed when Eric Bieniemy was here. McCall Hardman, we had this discourse about him a lot. A lot of those out routes that he ran, he would drift. There were interceptions that Patrick Mahomes threw towards McCall Hardman that were incomplete passes because they weren't to the right depth, which is another thing when discussing well, the whole, is McCall Hardman going to be on this team? Guess what? He didn't he solve that problem. He wasn't exactly consistent with, with some of the stuff he was doing as well. I know the reasons why. We don't have to get into that, the, the team speed, all of that. I'm, I'm on board with all of that, but the consistency is missing there. I did want to kind of throw this up here from – Kabi Finn here. So why does Sky keep getting those reps then? Surely it makes sense giving them to somebody else. We've talked about this a little bit before, but within the context of this conversation, it makes sense bringing it up again. He's the only one that runs them. Like, he's the only one that has that route tree. Justin Watson and MVS are vertical, kind of linear wide receivers. Rasheed Rice is operating in the middle of the field, learning still how to play the position within Andy Reid's offense. He's running a lot of slants. A lot of hitches, a lot of stuff underneath there. Then you've got the rest of your wide receivers, Kadarius Tony, that they're using as more of a manufactured touch guy. You've got Justin Ross, who once again is in kind of the same boat as Rasheed Rice with even more limited snaps and limitations there. He's an X, baby. He's he's a, he's an X there. The only other guy right now that could take Sky Moore snaps and maybe do anything with them would be Richie James from the slot, and he's been hurt. Like, he's not been active on this team. So that's what they have at their disposal. Now, you can lay that at the feet of Brett Veach. You can lay that at the feet of whoever. But within the structure of this offense and the way that they have always run it, they've needed a guy that can win in the areas of the field that Sky Moore is consistently getting the run and the route tree that he's getting. Last year, that was Juju. 
in previous years, it was like guys like Sammy Watkins and even a little bit of Demarcus Robinson, which, hey, when Sammy was out, Demarcus was in. How did the offense look? Not great. So Sky is the only one right now that is built to run that route tree. And unfortunately, it's not been very consistent. It's not been very productive, but that's just the nature of the wide receiver room as it sits right now. Yeah, um, I was. I, I, the only thing I wanted to add on that is it looked like Rasheed Rice was eating into it a little bit this past game. He got some outside reps and some stuff, but I agree. He's not ready to run the... the I mean, it's a full route tree. Sky Moore has the f- most full route tree of any Chiefs wide receiver. That's why nobody else is doing it. MVS isn't a full route tree runner. Justin Watson's not a full route tree runner. Rasheed Rice as a rookie definitely is it, but I don't know if he is long-term. I don't think Richie James is either. They don't have a guy really well-suited to run the full route tree. I would argue that Sky Moore isn't either. He's another vertical receiver in a different package because he's not the most elusive guy. He doesn't have the most fluid hips to run a lot of the hard-breaking routes and some of like the, not I don't want to say double moves, but some of like the whip routes, the return routes. Watching him get in and out of those is a little bit rough sometimes. So like, I don't think they have anyone that's super well suited to run those routes. I think that ultimately is the biggest issue going on for this team is they don't have someone to do those things at all. And I'll just piecing it together. Well, we, we spent a lot of time listening to people talk about this team's belief with Kadarius Tony and how they thought he could have a more expanded route tree. And there was some stuff down the field that he hadn't done yet that this team believes he could. And then what happens? Week one, we actually see passes beyond the line of scrimmage. They try to get him involved a little bit in that capacity in week one. He may not have been ready. You know, two drops. And, you know, also he's not been healthy this season either. So it's like maybe they had... That's a different kind of consistency. <laughs> I just wonder if maybe they had hopes for him to be as more of a developed route runner. And this is the byproduct of betting on Kadarius Tony a little bit too is, you know, we see, hey, look, you know, he's the injury history, but like they tried to get him more down the field in out in the routes and he's been a gadget player basically since. So I don't know what to think of that. I just, it, it just makes me wonder, like, I don't know. It, how much did that injury throw a wrench into it, which threw a wrench into his development, his involvement yeah. with this in this offense. And now I know we know Sky's been here two years. Sky went there and worked with, with Patrick all summer. Patrick has, or Sky has the best understanding of this role. He needs to be the one doing it. There's maybe some guys that once we get them more familiarized outside of just becoming a package player, you know, Rishi, maybe there's maybe there's opportunities to eat into some of that a little bit. I just wonder if maybe there's a little bit of a snowball effect too, but like whatever it is, somebody, a, a Sky, a, a Kadarius, someone's got to step in and Rishi's got to continue to see the field. He's got to get more opportunities sooner rather than later. Have we have we capped out our wide receiver talk? Yeah, yes. but if you have okay. one more point before we go to stickers, slaps, and spirits, we're still going to do that. Uh, I do. I want to answer clear the air with E's question real quick. Um, he has a question about how is it in a full start when offensive linemen move their arm to signal, you know, to do a silent snap, right? They're signaling the, the center when to snap the ball. It's because a full start is only when the hips, it's when the hips move of an offensive lineman. So as long as their hips aren't moving, they can move their hands. And this is also why Jawan Taylor or Lane Johnson can pick their foot up off the ground and move it backwards as long as like their center of gravity doesn't change, their foot can move. That you can reposition your foot on the ground all you want. You can move your hands. You just can't move like your center of mass back, forward, 
up down like in an aggressive manner like you're indicate like you're trying to start a snap so it's that's why it's not a full start if a if a guy uses his arm to signal when to snap the ball maddie's saying that the hips don't lie sing 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 you know you want to did we all switch roles like you've made a shark you made the fin joke and now he's saying hips don't lie i don't know we're just trying it on for size kid you you disappeared on us for a day. We just go, you know, we gotta we gotta figure out what happens from here. I kind of love it. I feel more at home than I ever have. Uh, if you guys want to leave a game ball, uh, anybody in the chat, make sure just throw out a game ball idea for us here because we are going to go to uh, stickers, slaps, and spirits, handing out you know various prizes uh, <laughs> for the performances of players against the Denver Broncos. I'm gonna go through She Rice. Um, I've, I've been just, you know, I'm really excited about Rishi Rice, him having his best day as a rookie, four catches, 72 yards, continuing to ascend, continue to find opportunities and making the most of his opportunities. You know, I think, you know, there's like a lot of metrics that really like his yards per route run. And I think that tells a very important story. He's still not on the field a ton relative to some of these other guys, but you're seeing him have a lot of success when he is, and you're seeing Patrick Mahomes target him and trust him when he's on the field. And despite some of the drops, they've worked through some of that stuff. And I think he's responded in a big, big way. He's figuring things out more and more, I think, as we go. I think you're seeing him kind of understand spacing. We talked about that a little bit on this show. His understanding of spacing seems a lot better than some of these other guys. And you've heard Mahomes cite some of that as well. There's a context clue that I think is worth paying attention to when we're talking about some of these players. And I think Rasheed Rice has some of that ability and understanding of coverage that's allowing him to find some success earlier in the season. Rasheed Rice... Uh, gets my helmet sticker. Butt slapping a good job, Matthew. Why? Craig's up. Okay, I'm, that's fine. I'm ready. Uh, I want Trey Smith. Um, we gave him a little bit of flack to start the year for maybe not having the strongest season. I think over the past couple weeks, he, he you know he's come on a little bit stronger, um, especially in the run game, right? The Chiefs run game's been a little bit better the past few weeks. I think a lot of that is getting back to doing some gap scheme stuff. But also the reemergence of Trey Smith is kind of like the guy that you want to run behind, the guy that you kind of want to linchpin your run game behind. So I, I think he's had an uptick in play. I think you've seen that directly in the run game. And while he's still prone to losing his balance and some one-on-one -on -one pass protection reps, you know, throughout a game, especially against good rushers, I think overall his pass protection has been a lot cleaner. We've seen him handling stunts very well. He actually blocked two guys on a stunt this week by taking the defensive end that was trying the knife inside and throwing him into the knees of the defensive tackle that was remaining out there to the left. So it's just, I think he's playing better. He's getting back into that kind of enforcer, road grader, offensive line kind of role that he had been years past that every offensive line needs. There's a lot of guys at my disposal here with what you guys chose there. Obviously, Travis Kelsey's there. I, we talked about Malik Herring already, who had a terrific game. Drew Tranquil also had a terrific game. But I can't get out of here. It's been six weeks. Neither one of these individuals have gotten a whole ass bottle of bourbon. So I'm giving out two this week to Harrison Butker and Tommy Townsend. Well, Why that Gooch Bush? What's that? Just, hey, keep, he's not getting not for the tush push. Harrison no. Bunker's selling job on that when he's just chilling back there was kind of awesome. I loved it. No, I loved it. That was my favorite part. But Harrison Butker right now is 14 for 14 kicking field goals. He is 15 for 15 on extra points. 
He is 97% on touchbacks right now and boomed a 60-yard field goal. That was awesome. I'm not knocking on anything. This guy has been nails through the first six weeks. And I'm going to give a shout-out to Tommy Townsend here as well. He has been an excellent punter. A couple of really, really great punts that have set the Chiefs' defense up real deep in you know in the opponent's territory. Doing a phenomenal job there. But one of the first field goals, one of the first kicks that Harrison Butker made in the game against the Broncos was a was not a great snap that Tommy Townsend had to corral and get back down. We focused so much last year on the operation between James Winchester, Tommy Townsend, and Harrison Butker. And guess what? That was like the only one that I remember through six weeks and through now 29 kicks that Harrison Butker has done. So a phenomenal job. I'll throw third whole ass bottle of bourbon. I'll give one to James Winchester as well. That entire process has been so much improved this season. It's been really good to see. All right. We are seeing a lot of love for El Travador. Uh, and everyone is uh, in using uh, El Travador as well. So uh, shout out to uh, Wyoder for Brent Shepard, Kobe Flynn, all saying El Travador. Uh, doing all that on a high ankle sprain or a low ankle sprain. Yeah, is absolutely worth it. Travis looks like he's having a good time, too. He's having a good little mini-buy because he's out in Philly. He went to the Eagles game yesterday. He was at the Phillies game tonight with his brother. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And by the way, he hung out with Taylor Swift on Saturday night. was on Saturday Night Live. The whole thing without mentioning her. Yeah. Don't get mad. off, Craig. I say, do we have bad? We just almost cleared an entire podcast without doing what the rest of the NFL is doing. Karma's coming for you. Do we have bad blood? That's going to do it for the Casey Laboratory. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate you. We'll catch you later. It's turning red.